Welcome to the Weekend Update, your weekly dose of everything Grizzlies presented by the Grizzden Podcast and the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, Will Walker, and I'm joined every week by John Kraft. How's it going, John? Uh, dark week, but hope is on the way. And we got another two-time-in-a-row guest who's part of the Grizzden Podcast. Hello, Ty. How's it going, fellas? Appreciate y'all having me once again. It's an honor to be here. It is John Morant week for everyone, you know, that celebrates. Uh, the Grizzlies, however, are 6-18. and 18. That's 0-3 since the last week in update. They are 13th in the West out of 15 teams. They're 26th in the NBA out of 30 teams. Six and a half games back from the 10 seed. Um, that was as of my research a little bit earlier. So if that's changed, I apologize. 29th in offense with 107.6 rating. 10th in defense, 113.5. 24th in net rating at a negative 5.9 score there. Uh, so we're going to start like we do every other episode with a who's up and who's down. John, we'll start with you since you went last last time. Yeah, my my who's up. Uh, to me, it's probably a simple one. I'm probably taking the obvious one here, but that is Vince Williams Jr. Uh, he's my who's up in a, in a week where there wasn't a lot to celebrate. Um, he went, came into the starting five. Uh, this week and I actually thought played really well. He was pretty much the the lone person seemingly this season who has taken the opportunity with minutes given to him to really to come through. I thought he played really well. Uh, I actually, you know, uh, even in these losses, he played really good defense. I feel like against Luca, um, Luca, I, th- I think was two of nine when Vince was actually guarding him and the Mavs were actually doing a bunch of uh, a bunch of, of picks and, and, different play calls to try to get Vince not guarding him. So that was really, that was exciting. And then obviously he, he guarded, I think uh, the Rockets, whoever he, whether it was Fed Van Vliet or, or even Dylan, but his man didn't score a lot. Unfortunately um, other people's did, but, uh, and I thought, you know, hit open shots, uh, you know, had a turnover here and there, but I, I, that's not something, especially the fact that he hasn't played with a lot of the guys he's playing with, but he's my, who's up. Yeah, I mean, he's like the been the really, uh, you know, other than we've talked about Jaron and Bain some uh, and kind of what they've done this year. Vince has been like the one bright spot of the season for me. Ty, what's your who's up? Um, so my who's up is uh, is Ja. Um, obviously, he comes back very, very soon. Um, I want to talk maybe less about like what we expect there. But honestly, the main reason I'm going to say who's up is from his presser. Um, I thought his press conference was really good. I thought he seemed very level-headed. Um, he took responsibility. He wasn't combative. He said all the right things. He acted the right way. Um, you know, it seemed like people tried to kind of bait him into certain answers. Um, he kind of strayed away from, stayed away from that. But then also he gave a couple of thoughtful answers, which is not something that he's done in the past. Um, I thought it was just really encouraging to see him, you know, speak in front of people, get some challenging questions, took them head on. Um, I loved how he at one point was like, uh, I, I, this is kind of a controversial thing. Cause I think you can take it out of context when he was basically like, I don't regret anything because it's led me to basically like where I am now. I thought that was just like a great way to frame it. Um, it's almost like that seems like an answer that you would get if you've been to counseling for the last several months. Right. Um, to me, that's kind of what I thought. That's where, where my head went. 
So this is obviously the first step in a long journey with Ja coming back. But that first step to me was extremely positive. Um, so I'm going to say who's up is just Ja and his mindset coming into this. My who's up is the Grizzlies ticket values. Uh, if you <laughs> take a look at any sort of third-party website and try to get tickets to the home game against the Pacers on Thursday, it is difficult to do. Uh, and as somebody who is a, a season ticket holder this year for the first time, it hasn't been the greatest start in terms of resale. We've had, had a few games where we were out of town, uh, and you know, being 1-11 at home doesn't inspire a whole lot of market out there. Uh, but I'm just saying, overall, it's going to be a brand-new FedEx Forum, and that's because John Morant is going to be playing, barring catastrophe. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to have FedEx Forum, um, to have a chance to go back to FedEx Forum excited rather than just hoping for to avoid disaster on a night-to-night basis. And it's also interesting, too, because John Morant's return is timed with a scarcity of home games. And so we have the home game on Thursday, but then the next one isn't until New Year's Eve, which is going to be rocking. And I'm sure that will be a tough ticket to come by as well. But that's the John Morant effect. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, my who's down, and I said I committed to this uh, on our episode during Thanksgiving week. I said if Zaire Williams gets any more significant playing time than my who's down, I have to commit to it being Taylor Jenkins. And that's my who's down this week. Uh, the other night against the Rockets, you're up by, um, you know, have an amazing first quarter, really first half overall. Uh, and he brings in Zaire Williams, who at by the end of the game was a lead or a team low of minus 13 for the game, had a couple turnovers, zero points, couldn't make a thing. And the reasoning given was that due to injuries, not wanting playmaking, you Jenkins said he wanted to get more offense out on the court. And that did not happen with Zaire Williams. And meanwhile, John Conchar is getting a DNP. Everybody knows my affinity for Conchar, it's because he actually does things that contribute to winning. I am not saying he is the answer. I'm not saying he's going to ever be in a six-man-of-the-year conversation, but Zaire Williams got the ninth most minutes on the team, excuse me, uh, eighth most minutes on the team, and I'm sure that John Conchar slotted into that eighth most minutes on the team slot above Zaire Williams. We might have seen a different outcome last night. That's how bad Zaire Williams was. And so my who's down is Taylor Jenkins for giving any sort of rope I, I don't care what the argument is at this point. Zaire Williams cannot play if we want to try and win. Ty, what's your who's down? Um, who's down? That's a good one, Will. <laughs> uh, my who's down is I don't want to rehash everything that was discussed on the the full-on GDP pod that we did last week, but I'm, I'm going to go with playoff chances. Um, last time this group, us three got together, um, we talked about how this next stretch is going to be incredibly important for kind of creeping ourselves back. We were playing the Mavs who were going to be pretty injured and then Houston twice. Um, one of those obviously being at home where they've only won, I think they were one in eight coming into the game against us. Um, so you kind of felt like, okay, we may can sneak it. Like we may win this little three game stretch here. We didn't, um, and it wasn't even close. Um, very disheartening week. Um, we are currently six and a half games back from 10. 
Um, that's, that's a lot. Um, I, you know, obviously if y'all listened to the last pod we did, I kind of said it was, was completely over. Maybe I was a little, I, I texted y'all obviously after this and I was like, maybe I was a little bit too aggressive in my like hatred for our team right now. Um, I, I mean, I would, I, I do think 10 is maybe potentially still within reach if jaw goes nuclear and I'm not ruling that out, but it's, Guys, that 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 hill is getting very high, and that boulder we're trying to climb up it with is getting really heavy. We we are very close to getting to the point where this is this is insurmountable, regardless of kind of who comes back. It's it's teetering. Um, it's teetering. I'm not gonna say the door's closed. I take back everything I said from the last time we spent. Not everything, but I'm opening the doors, barely being ajar, but it's. It's closing. For the sake of content, I did. We did place a bet, a twelve dollar play in bet on the Grizzlies, and bet still stands. Immediately, immediately after the Mavs game, regretted every bit of that. <laughs> so, Ty, I might just go ahead and Venmo uh, that over, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Kraft, what's your who's down? Uh, my who's down. Uh, actually, to, uh, I'm still not where Ty is, but. Uh, Jenkins would also be my who's down, but for the sake I'm, uh, of the pod, I'm going to also say who's down is the Dylan haters. The Dylan haters are down. Uh, you know, whether there was a lot of thought about, is there going to be booing? Is there going to be cheering when Dylan comes back? Uh, you know, Harrington even wrote basically that taboo is, is, is a respectful thing. Cause that is what Dylan would want. He's a villain. We should boom, you know, uh, as, a, as an appreciation, uh, I was not at the home win, so I can't speak to that. The Jazz game, the loudest the forum has been this season uh, was when Dylan uh, was introduced. The second for me was during the Dylan video. Those are the two loudest and most positive cheering that the forum's been. That might speak to, uh, as was alluded to, the one in eleven situation. Um, but it was it was the most full I've seen the FedEx forum since opening night. It was the loudest, and unfortunately, it was for the the player that was on the opposing team. Uh, and uh, but uh, Dylan obviously had a great game as well at home. So all those things, the Dylan haters, who's down? Let's get into the news and notes. We have some roster updates, and none of this has happened technically yet. But it was reported by DeMichael Cole, the commercial appeal that the Grizzlies are not expected to uh, retain Kenny Lofton Jr. there He's expected to be waived to open up a roster spot, presumably for Bizback Biombo, um, to be signed for the rest of the season because Jaws' uh, suspension, the extra roster spot granted by the NBA for the suspension is expiring. And so we have to make a decision, and it looks like that's the direction they're going to go. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a ride for Grizzlies fans and Kenny Lofton Jr. He was the... Rookie of the year of the G League and last year and has been sort of a fan favorite, uh, no doubt due to his physical makeup, but also he did have game and nobody can deny that his his offense was at a at an NBA rotation level. The problem was his defense and he was never able to really crack the rotation in a significant way, especially with a shallow front court. Uh, honestly, if you were a front court player, 
this is looking to break into the NBA. The Grizzlies situation was a desirable one due to our need. And he was never able to quite do that. And we'll see if he gets signed to a different roster, maybe a different G League team to see if he could work his way back in. But uh, that does look like it will transpire this week. What are y'all's thoughts on the Lofton move? I'll start with you, Kraft. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've been saying it. I, you know, I think some Jenkins will get some heat here. Uh, you know, as as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're 10th in defense, which is actually really good. Uh, but we are 29th in offense, which is putrid. And you would think, okay, well, Lofton's not that great defense, um, but maybe he could give us an offensive spark. Uh, but, you know, when he, when he did get playing time, nothing really resulted from it. He was always a pretty quick minus in the plus minus. Uh, you know, he did always seem kind of out of place. He, you know, by everybody's acknowledgement, came into camp out of shape, and which is really sad because I think he was in shape in summer league and played pretty well. And in those two months before the season started, apparently did not take care of himself in possibly the worst year to do that uh, and the worst time to do that. And so I hope he does. I hope he sticks somewhere. I hope we get to see him. Um, a great trivia question in like 10 or 15 years when we list uh, Grizzlies players who've had 40-point games. Uh, there'll be a fun list. And the one guy that probably people will forget about is Kenny Lofton, who scored 42 points in the last game of the year last season. But, uh, but you know, so I wish him well. Um, but this was very expected. Uh, I think we saw that as soon as Biz came in and played well. And he's a very – he's a poor man, Stephen Adams. And that's what we need, especially with Jock coming back. We also – uh, had Jalen Noel's 10 day, second 10 day contract expire. Uh, and so he is not technically on the roster either. And it'll be interesting to see how we navigate anything like that moving forward. I don't think we're going to see Noel back with the team anytime soon, necessarily. We're going to see how Ja integrates and hopefully get a few guys back, but Ty, any, any additional thoughts on Noel or Lofton Jr. As the roster starts to move a bit. Yeah, I mean, agree with Kraft. I think this is kind of where things had to go. But it is – I don't know if what it really says about where we are right now that we are so wound up and so like, oh, my goodness, we just let this player go. And, like, I don't know if it's dumb to be upset or reasonable to be upset. I just think it's weird that we're even having the the dialogue regarding your, what, 17th man – that probably says a lot about where we are this season with injuries and just how dire things are. But I think Kraft nailed it is like, you know, coming in, not like a, I don't think he was like a crazy young player either. He's not like in his teens. Like I think he's 21 or 22. Maybe y'all can check me on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you have this opportunity to come in and make something of it and it just, for whatever reason, just nothing ever other ever came from it. Um, and this is just kind of something we had to do. Um, I don't really think, you know, Kenny Lofton was ever going to be a main part of our roster ever, you know? Like, I think his absolute peak, honestly, maybe where he is currently. Like, how does he really get that much better than he is now? I don't know. You know, probably, maybe not. You could talk to me either way. Um, so I don't really think in the grand scheme of things, you know, that really doesn't matter. Um, 
Noel to me matters more because to your point craft about our 29th rating and in, in offense, like he did bring a little bit of like just some kind of semblance of competence with the ball in his hands. And if you look at our wing rotation, we just don't have that at all. Like, no, was he going to be this just like, now he slots in and as like our eighth man when everyone's healthy. Definitely not. But in a season where we are now, it's like we need everything we can get from just a competent offensive wing. Um, he's a really small one at that. But, you know, maybe with Ja coming back, hopefully with Smart and Kennard both coming back, you know, if you think about it that way, like maybe we're, what, a few games without somewhat of a more competent guard slash wing rotation. And once those players come back, Noel was never really going to sniff the floor anyway. And at this point being six and 18 or whatever we are, it's like, does a few, you know, a few games really matter. Like you're not going to cut a roster spot for a guy that you're owed money next year. This has been discussed, but like we were always going to cut Noel. Like we were, that was always going to be the, you know, the end of the day, what was going to happen. Um, I just think it did. You got a little bit of excited, you know, excited when you saw him score 19 points against the Mavs and just hit like three or four, like pull up 16 footers. And you're like, oh, this is what it's like to have a competent player off the bench that can actually make a shot. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of sad to see him go. But with with Lofton, I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, sure, you know, fun story, I guess. But was he ever really gonna help us? Will he ever really help anyone? I, I would say the odds are that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think, and part of it is, you know, Vince Williams, who we just, who I was in my who's up, he's he's not on the roster either. He's a two day guy, and so we're, you know, in theory, we got to figure out um, because I think we're gonna he's gonna hit his fifty game max this season, um, and so we got to figure out a roster spot for him too. So, so you know, I just think Noel was just an odd man out there, um, but Lofton, you know. It's 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 sad. I mean, Jenkins recently said, and we'll probably get to this uh, about rotations and stuff. You know that he was giving Laravia a chance because of how good Laravia has looked in practice, and, and I think just that comment there shows me that Lofton was not. If Lofton had looked good in practice, he would have gotten some playing time. Um, and so you know, because obviously Laravia has not looked great in the games, and so you know, but if you practice well, Jenkins will play you apparently. So yeah, and just. Uh, to close the loop on Noel, he he did shoot way under his average overall with the Grizzlies, which definitely didn't help his chances. I, th- I feel like he would have had to really show that he can honestly shoot above what he what he has been in order to actually break into a rotation. And it also didn't make a whole lot of financial sense when you look at the money that we have committed to guys after this year. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just goes to show that the fact that that guy was even on our team, that's, that's how down bad we were as the kids say. Um, we had quite an interesting week. Yes. It ended zero and three, but it's funny because I think we had two games that would be in the running for the worst loss of the season. Uh, the Mavericks on Monday night, we definitely discussed that it definitely, it, it, I, I don't remember being lower. Um, uh, and then we topped it on Friday where it's kind of like you have, you're at home against a guy who's a familiar, familiar face. And he, the way that we lost just, just added insult to injury, especially at the hot start. I mean, we had a game in the middle where Bain with an illness missed his very first of the, of the season. And Jaron, you know, part of his back to back 40 point games, the first of which being against Dallas 
played and just the rest of the team did not, it seemed. Uh, and so that's, I just wanted to note it, it is a, the night is darkest before the dawn situation we have on our hands because that's what this week was. I thought I couldn't get lower than Monday night and then Friday night happened. And I think I was just numb. So what craft, <laughs> what, what were your feelings about this week? I mean, I that's was, where I'm at. Know, yeah. So, so Monday, the frustration of Monday, and we talked about this, so I don't want to go over it too much. We talked about this on the Grizzden pod, but, uh, you know, we just didn't come out with the right effort for a team. We, we got to get every win possible. And it's Luca and Scrubs. And we're just, we just did not come out with the right effort in the first half, played better in the second half. Jaron played well. Um, you know, and then the, then the middle game, good effort. You know, uh, you can't fault them. Super undermanned, even more than we have been. Uh, I love the fact that we made it a game. We, we, you know, I think most, we were all texting each other, wondering if we even wanted to watch the second half. Um, but we're professionals here. We're podcasters. So we watch, we watch the game. So you don't have to, uh, as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, the, you know, but we made a great comeback in the third quarter and it was really fun. Obviously it's been great to watch Jaron. Uh, we'll probably get into that more as well, but, but Friday, you know, what was so upsetting was up 29, uh, 29 to 14, I believe something like that after the first quarter, uh, dominated the first quarter actually looked like the Grizzlies of old. This is what we've been doing when we racked up the best home court, uh, advantage the last two years in the regular season is we would get out to these big starts and then just maintain that. And then eventually just, you know, crush somebody, go on a 10 0 run, be up by 20 something, you know, the other team kind of gives up, but instead we didn't do that. And unfortunately, uh, at some point in the early second quarter, Derek Rose, you know, uh, it looks like strained his hamstring and, uh, and so then we were without a point guard. We, you know, and Gilliard had already played some minutes and, you know, and going back to your who's down, uh, my opinion, we put in Conchar there. We put in Conchar to play backup point guard uh, for the team uh, just to give another ball handler for Bain. But instead, we decided to go with Zaire. And and I remember I was sitting next to who I brought the, you know, shout out to James. I looked over to him. And I said, I can I was so mad. Like I like I was so mad that I basically didn't speak until halftime. I was so upset that he was even off the bench. And I looked at James and I said, I said, just take note of this. We're up eleven and Zaire's coming in the game. Just take note. You know, and he was making fun of me because of how mad I was getting. And I was having to apologize to the people around me how annoyed I was that Zaire was in the game, but uh, guess Shouldn't what happened? have to we apologize. Yes, we lost the game. And we did not, once Sayer, it's like a curse. He got off the bench, walked into the game, and we just did not play the way we'd been playing for the first quarter and a half. And it was very unfortunate. And it's just weird uh, that that happens. You know, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, I mean, obviously Zaire sucks, but it doesn't make sense for us to be that bad. But it, But we were. And so, and, and really at that point, uh, we just struggled the rest of the game. And I just think, you know, I mean, it's weird. I mean, how bad it is that we're in a place where, where Derek Rose going out with an injury halfway through the game really hinders us. But, but that's where this roster is right now, which is really incredible. Ty, why is Zaire this bad? <laughs> Man, I wish I knew, and I'm probably not the only one that wishes that. Um, that is a, you know, the, the $6 million a year question, apparently. Um, it's just, it's all bad, man. It's, uh, he, you know, can't really do anything right. Um, every opportunity he gets, regardless of who the matchup is, regardless of the talent across from him, I'm, 
against the Mavs, for instance, he let Seth Curry take him off the dribble, like to the basket multiple times. And Zaire is supposed to be like his, one of his strengths is supposed to be perimeter defense and being long and athletic. And Seth Curry, not an athlete, not a big player at all. Like a 6'3", unathletic, slow guard, beats him off the dribble and gets to the rim a couple times. And I remember Brevin pointing that play out, basically saying like, of all the things that can't happen, that has to be at the top of the list. Um, it's just stuff like that over and over again. When the ball gets in his hands, it's just like the possession seems over. Um, we mentioned last time that if, if it ever ends up in his hands to start a fast break, the fast break immediately ends because um, he just he's not competent enough to, to run the break with the ball in his hands. It's just, it's just really bad, and what makes it worse is we really don't have anyone else to – to go, I mean, we do have Conchar, yes. And like to y'all's point, Conchar absolutely should have played over Zaire. That has to be so apparent. Um, so apparent that the rumor was while that was happening is that, oh, Conchar's getting traded like tonight. <laughs> that was like the thought because, like, no other reason he's not in the game. There's a trade on the table that we're just waiting for the game to end for Tillman and Conchar, are both going out in a Conchar trade. twisting an ankle would absolutely blow up the trade. <laughs> like, nothing nothing clearer than Grizz Twitter, which has been skeptical of Conchar since the beginning, being so thrown. Like even like Anthony Sane saying, "How is Conchar not playing over Zaire?" <laughs> and that, uh, that, that that's the only thing people, the Jenkins defenders. It's either Jenkins sucks because of that, or the defenders are making up trade rumors. I mean, nothing could be clearer, Ty. <laughs> it's tough. It's just the to y'all's point, Will. You were saying you were numb. Um, there's a there's a movie that I can't remember the name of. Um, it's got the guy who plays Frodo. Oh, I'm blanking on the name. So this analogy is just going out the, out the window, but it's two soccer gangs, like rival soccer teams. But apparently in like Euro league, they're like so intense. It's like gangs. Is it a uh, green street? Game, it is. That's it. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. So I remember watching this. Movie. Anyway, there's a scene in green streets where this gang member fights another one. This is maybe a little vulgar, but here we go. They're in a fist fight, and one guy legit kills the other one and just keeps hitting him in the face. Like, the literally the image that you're seeing is this guy just continually being punched in the face while he has passed. That's the way <laughs> I felt <laughs> against the Rockets. I felt like it was an outer body, outer body experience where I have left the earth and someone was just still hitting me in the face. I, I, and I'm like, I'm done. I literally have died, and I'm still just getting pummeled in the face. I, I think I prefer, I prefer I numb. I think I prefer Will's numbness to that. <laughs> That's the way I felt. It's a different level it of was, numb. Yeah, the Mavs was the lowest point. The Houston game was just it, – it was – yeah, it was, it was tough. It was so tough. Yeah, um, and it's well. You can edit that all if you need to. <laughs> if anything, I need to edit it to replay that in. Uh, it just really sucks too that this was the week where Jaron scored forty in back-to-back games because I we've been the most critical of him in, on the offensive end 
and he's still anchoring a top 10 defense amidst all of this losing, which is absurd. And to go out and, you know, in a lot of one-on-one matchups too, it's not as if he's just getting the ball. He's not just play finishing. Like he's play starting, he's play making. He, if you look at him at the very beginning of the season, when a double team swarms him, he's turning the ball over like at least a third of the time. And to see his maturity already in just 22, 23 games has been hopeful amidst a lot of just sadness. And the fact that he and Bain have gotten the opportunity to really take the reins on offense, I think has been, besides Vince Williams, which we've covered, has been just about the, I guess, the highest amount of positive that you could take from this stretch. And I don't exactly believe that if we are, if Jaron's scoring 40, that that's a good thing overall for the Grizzlies. It typically will mean that we're, we're down in terms of personnel and need him to step up in that way. But the fact that he showed that he could, and also not just, you know, on hot shooting from three, it wasn't that. It wasn't a Keegan Murray 40-point game. It was a just back-to-the-basket playmaking, taking what the defense gives you. And he could have had a lot more assists, too, if we had guys that could actually hit shots. So overall, just don't want that to be brushed under the rug when we're talking about this past week because I think it it deserves uh, it deserves to be noted. And he set his career high uh, on the – anniversary of his original career high, which was cool. Let's get into the reason why you're probably listening to this podcast, which is the preview of the John Morant week. And there is only one more game. If you're listening to this on Monday, it's tonight against the Thunder in Oklahoma City. And boy, if there was ever a schedule loss, it was probably this one. Because the night right after, back-to-back, we are playing in New Orleans on TNT, and that's the John Morant return game. The Thunder are playing pretty well uh, right now. They're one of the young up-and-coming teams that we've covered uh, on this podcast. It hasn't been fun to see their rise, particularly. They they just beat Denver in Denver. Yes, they did. Which um, is hard to do. In their previous game. And um, then we have at Pelicans the next night, which is obviously the big one. Then home against the Pacers, Jaws FedEx form return. And technically, since we're covering the full week, we are playing in Atlanta at the Hawks on Saturday at 630. John, I'll pass it to you. We can start with the Thunder game, but what are you expecting overall for this week? Yeah, I'm, one of the things that just came out, you know, that Biz is doubtful. Um, Derrick Rose is now week to week. So, uh, you know, my like I'm not at this point the doubtful. I'm not too alarmed by that Bismack injury news. Maybe I should be. I think what that is is we're we're not we we want Bismack completely healthy for Jaws return, uh, and if there was anything that was going to be not a hundred percent about Biz, they were going to rest him. And so I think I, I mean I think they're treating this like a schedule loss. I would almost expect um, if unless we're in it, unless we're giving a home run effort, which we we seem to really like giving home run efforts against really good teams and losing, and then giving crappy efforts against bad teams, um, but. Uh, I expect uh, Jenkins to really be watching Jaron and Bain's minutes with this one. I mean, I'm I'm chalking this up as a loss. Uh, I kind of hope strategically we're we're thinking of that because we really need to win. I think the Pelicans game is winnable, especially with Jaws' return. I think we need to focus on that. 
And so that's the hope. Uh, but it's, it's going to be really tough. I mean, I feel like the guys that have not been playing well for us need to start off and play well. We need to shoot. We need to hit 23s tomorrow night. If, uh, you know, or for tonight, depending on when you're listening, if you think we have any chance at OKC Pelicans, on the other hand, uh, one of the, the cool things, the Pelicans are like a medium defense, but one of the nice things about this week is we're playing the Pelicans, which are kind of an average defense. And then we're playing both the Pacers and then the Hawks who are both bottom five defenses. And I really like that we're coming in uh, with our terrible, as I called it, putrid offense uh, that we're that Jaws coming in, and while the, the Pelicans are going to be a little bit, they don't they don't have a big time defender to guard him. You know, you're looking at again. You know, the Pelicans with CJ McCollum. They kind of they're the only reason their defense is kind of good is they play well together, but none of their players individually are good defenders. Um, and then we're playing basically the two teams you want to play if you want to score a lot of points as a guard. Notice Giannis last week scoring sixty something points against the Pacers. The Hawks similar. Uh, if you want a season high, play these two teams. And so, uh, so I'm very excited about Jaw getting to kind of hopefully ramp up a little bit, play three not great defenses. Um, you know, that was one of the things this last week that was so exciting about Jaron was we played some really good defenses last week, and Jaron played really well uh, against those teams like Houston. So last couple weeks, actually, Jaron's played really well against good defenses. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm looking to see. But I think all three of these games, again, uh, until I see it, no game is just a, an easy win for this team because we're so bad. Uh, but I think all three of the games after the Thunder game are are winnable, uh, are winnable games. I especially would hope that Thursday uh, is a winnable game. The Pacers have not been playing very well since coming out of this in-season tournament. And, and I just think at home, uh, a team that's not a very good defensive team uh, that wants to just kind of run, we should kill that team at home. We usually do with Joss, so we'll see. Um, but but so I feel good about the three games, just their kind of coin toss game, similar to this week uh, where we went on three. But uh, but hopefully with job, things will be different. Ty, what do you want to see this week mainly? Yeah, one thing I was thinking about, a couple of things I was thinking about, just thinking about the. Um, you know, the game against against the Pelicans is. A little bit slower paced team, right? Likes to maybe, you know, not crazy athletic. Yeah, Zion's a really good athlete. Jonas isn't really good playing in the high pick and roll. Can't really run up and down the floor. Ingram's not going to fly up and down the floor. McCollum's not either. We are generating so many turnovers um, and fast break, quote unquote, opportunities that don't lead to fast break opportunities. I would love for us to see Jaws' first game back. We are running. We are getting out. We are running. 29th ranked offense, a real easy way to bump that up is to get super easy baskets. Let Ja just get out and go because he's always crazy good at that. And the Pelicans to me are a great team to just go, just run. If under on a make, they make a basket. Who cares? Just get out and go. Get out and run. Um, another thing that you know I was kind of considering is with Ja coming back, is we've talked about this too. Let's see who inner player name is with Ja returning. One player that I'm actually curious to see if they get more consistent minutes and improves is actually Tillman. Our big rotation, Biz has not been good for a long time now. Tillman's been worse. I'd be curious to see if Tillman's high basketball IQ, ability to pass, not a great screener, not a terrible screener, not a, not a good rebounder really either. 
like, can he be like somewhat of a connector from that position enough to like allow the offense to kind of flow a little bit better? Um, so I'll be really curious to see what Tillman looks like with Ja. But the biggest thing to me is, man, I'm looking for body language. I'm looking for timeouts. I'm looking for if we get down by 10 midway through the third quarter, like what response do we have? What does Ja look like coming back um, from that? What does the rest of our players look like coming back from that? I think that's kind of a big thing because it's going to happen, right? Like Ja is coming, coming back, and that's going to be a huge help. We're still bad, and we're still extremely undermanned. We're still missing, you know, basically two starters and then our first two off the bench traditionally, right? Like that's that's a lot for any team to overcome against a good team like the Pelicans. Um, I just want us to see us play really hard. I want to see us pick up the pace. And then, Kraft, to your point, we have to beat we have to beat the Pacers in Atlanta. Like. To your point, I think these two games are like if you were to pick two games for Ja to come back, it's these two games. This is perfect. These are the perfect two games to come back. Atlanta's reeling. They all hate each other. Their whole vibe is off, just like ours is. The Pacers, everyone's blowing smoke up then, which honestly I think Ja like probably loves that. Um, I don't know. I think this is going to be a good week for Ja to come back. I just really hope that – things start to click not like not necessarily just on the court but definitely big time on the court but also off the court too normally when a player of jaws magnitude returns to a lineup after a long absence i'd be interested in the way which i still will be interested i'd be worried about the way in which he does come back in terms of deferring trying to maybe fit in before he takes over the bonus of the season thus far is that jaw has actually been able to practice and travel with the team and it's not so it's not as if he's just been completely separated like somebody who's been injured and hasn't practiced and needs to ramp up like i hope that jaw just immediately comes in realizes that it's a team that we don't need anybody to defer at this point at jaw's talent level like we need some we need somebody to come in and just provide a spark instantly and does that mean that he should go for 50 against the Pelicans on national TV? No. In fact, which I want to get into his press conference a little bit more, Ty, you referenced it at the top, but he said he, he said himself he's not aiming to have a historic night. He's just aiming to come in and do what he can to contribute. And so I think the, the balance that he's going to strike between, you know, honestly setting Bain and Jaron up because they've been playing super well, but also in for – on his end, just taking over as the alpha of the team in terms of leadership. You mentioned body language. That's, again, very, very top of the list for sure. And what happens when, you know, it's it's not going to be instant. We're not just going to come back, like you said, and be just this magically amazing offense. It's going to take work. And luckily, we have a couple, a few teams that shouldn't be terribly hard to defend because that's where you do take some things off the table with jaw. But at this point, our defense is fine. Like I'm not worried at all about that end. We just have to find a way to generate points. And the thing we know that jaw can do is generate points in the half court when you need them. And I am super excited to see how this opens up Bain's game. Like I'm looking for that efficiency to increase. Uh, he's had to take so much, so many shots that have been not open to say the least. 
and I'm excited for him to finally get some open looks and see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, one things is, you know, in, in sort of my um, <laughs> looking through jaw highlights to try to ease the depression um, and ease the numbness, as we've talked about, um, you know, I, I think, and I think, Ty, you made this point, I think, in one of the podcasts earlier, or just that, you know, it's crazy when you do pause it, and I was trying to do this a few times on these highlights, you know, the roster, a lot of the people times, the, the guys out there are similar to the guys that are out there now. Um, because we've been dealing with injuries the last two years. Nothing as bad as what we've dealt with this year. And and so it did make me realize, you know, uh, a lot of these guys that we, we think are terrible are probably still terrible, but they're probably going to play a little better with jaw because that's what superstars do. And so that's another thing I'm sort of hoping to see is that like some of these guys uh, that like, honestly, I still want traded. There's definitely some guys that you still do not want to see playing. Uh, but hopefully, you know, as we use some more of these back ends of the rotation guys that just having a, another superstar, having a superstar on the court with them is going to make them play better because they're going to they're, the threes are going to be a little more open. Um, they're going to have a little less pressure on them. Uh, the passes are going to be a little crisper, all those sorts of things. And so that I'm hoping to see that as well. And one thing with Ja too, is like we need like a run killer, right? Like, let's say the I don't know, we're playing the Pacers and they go in an 8-0 run. And Jenkins doesn't kind of, you know, call a timeout. We basically just run high pick and roll. Jai either gets to the basket or gets fouled and hits two free throws. Like we don't have anyone that can like kill a run or settle us down like at all. And to your, that's a great point because yeah, I remember watching so many highlights of Jai doing just stupid stuff, and I'm like, oh look, it's Conchar in the corner, and it's Tillman playing center, and yet we're like up 15 against I don't know like the Lakers on the road and you're kind of like, why did, what is even going on? But now it really does to me, like the way we've been playing is when our, you know, when Bain and Jaren are on the floor, we have two guys on offense that, and I, I get, I, I've used this word a lot recently, competent. No one else is offensively competent. Roddy has been a disaster. There's the shot chart going around of his on Twitter. It might blind you. I can't help you there if you if you look at that straight on. It's like solar retinopathy. Anyway, <laughs> Bismack Biombo, like offensively, he tries that little turnaround hook in the middle of the lane. It doesn't go it's in so much. Sad. He can't pass. He can't dribble. He he's actually not a real good offensive rebounder. So he didn't really get you extra possessions. Vince Williams, if he just, like, stands still and catches and shoots, I'm like, that's not awful. As soon as he dribbles, I'm like, this is going to go poorly, right? Love his defense, love his hustle. He's not going to create anything on offense. We've already mentioned Zaire. Derrick Rose is hurt. Like, even Derrick Rose has shown a three-minute stretch of being competent on offense, and we, like, win those minutes by, like, seems like double digits. Like, it doesn't take much. I just think we're going from such a low point to such a high point, I'm going to sound like craft here. Maybe just dropping just jaw in this mix is enough to make such a humongous difference because of how bad we are at those positions now and how, like, again, offensively, jaw is up there with the best of them, man. Like, he, he, can, he can take over games. As we get to his top five stuff in a bit, like, I can, I can point to games where he simply – was the best player on the floor 
with several Hall of Famers at the same time. He can be that good. Will, to your point earlier, I'm also interested to see how he kind of implements himself. And at the same time, I hope he implements himself very aggressively. I hope that he does not take a back seat. I hope he does not like one dribble pass, half court pass, stand at the, you know, stand on the wing and see what happens. I want him asking for the ball constantly. I want him attacking the rim constantly. We need we need pressure on the defense because right now, like we we have none of it. Um, so I'm, yeah, I I hope that he comes out very very aggressive with just the fire in his eyes. Like Jaw's always done too. That's the other. Like he's never been a guy that's like. There are a couple games where you can remember him being like a little standoffish and a little bit maybe lackadaisical. That was definitely last year though. But his first couple years, you know, when he was in the league, it was just constant attack, just constant. Um, most of his games last year, obviously, we know now he was going through some stuff. But even most games last year, it was like he's attacking. Like I remember that. 28 point quarter against the Lakers. And that was in the spring too. That was kind of after after he came back from suspension and he was going at AD like he wanted to get him out of the league. Like that's the kind of guy Jock can be at times. And I really hope he comes in with that cuz you know, you know our team and coaching staff has been preaching him like, "Man, you got to you got to really be the guy." Um and maybe I want to bring that up at some point too about what what this can be for job maybe we can we can get to that later but i want to hit on that before we get to his top 5 will you can lead us whichever way you want to go but no i really feel like right now is set up for him to really like solidify himself to change the narrative with his play like if you come out i mean we've seen it before like and now there's a lot of other stuff going around like maybe the Draymond stuff is the best thing to ever happen to Ja like with him taking over that narrative but Ja has a chance like if we do win 4 out of our next 5 or whatever that looks like and Ja is just energetic attacking the rim dunking on people just being like who he is just being simply who he is nothing more than he's been in the past i feel like this can really catapult him and us back in the discussion. So I, I want to acknowledge the opportunity that he has right now to really kind of like, to really kind of change the narrative about this team, change the narrative about himself. What do y'all think about that? Have y'all thought through that? Like, I feel like that's really, really important. Yeah. Moving. I forward. mean, for two reasons, number one, it's a good comparison to last season when Jaron was actually out the first part of the year. And then he comes and the Grizzlies were like the 29th ranked defense. He comes back. And then by the end of the year, we're a top five defense. It's like, that was a, a time to point to when you were having discussions about defensive player of the year, things like that. Just the impact on the on off is you can only see that when you're off for an extended amount of time and then come back on. And yeah, I mean, I think immediately too, you're going to see how the the narrative machine, which has worked against the Grizzlies in a, a lot of times, might actually work in their favor for once. And it's going to hopefully be because it's resulting in wins. And you're exactly right. Like, this is a time when, you know, Jaws never been. There was a question in his presser about where, about the quote unquote slander that's been going around where he's been ranked below some other point guards in the league. 
just great. <laughs> that question just took off. Just journalistically <laughs> worked out exactly as it was intended. It so uh, good. And so I just think that type of stuff, Ja doesn't, Ja's motivated by winning. And I think that's what's going to be fully focused. And I just hope he kind of lets, let, lets the play guide it. But I think you're right, Ty. Like this is, there's never been a, a more alley-oop type moment for him to, to capture. And it starts now. It starts this week. I mean, we've been talking about it for months and months and it's finally here. Yeah. Like if, if we do come out and again, if we win four out of the next five, I guarantee you it will be like, look at what Ja has done for this, whether that's true or not. Honestly, if we win four out of the next five, it's going to be because of Ja. But whether that's true or not, that is going to be the discussion. That is going to be the headliner topic, right? Like Ja Morant coming back to this team, they've got their identity. They've got their swag back. Look at how they play. Like he can really be like, to use your like the night is darkest before the dawn. He can be the white knight to this team. Like he really can. He can be the guy to just truly everyone sees his value, sees what he's worth. Um, and to me, for him as a, you know, a young face of the franchise, I think that would be very encouraging and a boost for not only the team and the city, right? But also himself. Like you know he kind of wants to like prove that he is who he has been before, right? That he hasn't lost a step. Don't forget about me kind of situation. Um, and I think this sets up just perfectly. And I hope, <laughs> man, I hope we're not talking in two weeks being like, oh man, we're seven and 25. What, what, what's happening? Because if it goes the other way, then, you know, the narrative could also flip that way too. Um, but I think he's too good for that to happen. I'll go ahead and say it now. I think he's too good for that to happen. I think he's good enough by himself to at least pull us to be a 500 basketball team. I really hope so. Let's get to the top five list. And the way we wanted to set this up is there's been a lot of John Morant moments in the past number of seasons. And just to get everybody excited, we wanted to review some of those on the podcast. And so we don't really have a format for this at all. I'm thinking that there's probably going to be some overlap, uh, but Craft, I'm going to let you start. What's your number one jaw moment or memory? So we're going, we're going best to we're best. going. Well, you know what? Let's go with your number five. Okay. Number five, number five for me and a minor going to be more personal. So, which I think will be interesting because I think y'all might do more stakes, but I'm going to do more personal. Number five for me is jaws rookie year. Uh, Nets game where he blocked Kyrie and it ended with his assist to Jay Crowder for the win in overtime. Um, that was a special moment for me because I was over at my house, uh, had a bunch of college students here. We were watching that game. Uh, super fun. And honestly, that was, I, I felt good about watching a couple summer league games about jaw and his potential. That was, that was my first, like we have a star moment. Like we like jaw is different than anybody we've ever had. That was the first moment I felt that with jaw. So that's my number five. My number five was the, it's actually the only game in here that it was a loss, but it was the 47 points in game two against the jazz. And that's when I realized, okay, like this dude, 
not only has it in the regular season, but he has it in the playoffs too. He almost scored 50 in a playoff game. That was just, man, throwback. Ty, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go specific plays for my for my first two, so five and four. So first one is the dunk over Aaron Baines. That was his first true poster. That was the one where he landed it. And everyone was like, oh, no one has seen a guard do that. Like a little, you know, let's call him 6'3", a buck 70 at that point. Um, just to see him do that over Aaron Baines, who looks like a villain in Game of Thrones, was awesome. Um, I'll remember that play. The the playback with Brevin's response was is just perfect. Um, that whole that dunk was just it was it was awesome. So I'm, I'm going to say that's my number five. What's your number four? We'll go snake style. So my number four again, specific plays is the dunk over Jalen Smith because that's the best dunk I think I've ever seen from a player like under the height of six eight. Um, I mean, I think I think the back of his right hand, which is what he dunked it with, it might have like touched his back. He cocked it back so far. Um, the, yeah, that's that even topped the Baines dunk to me. It was just like he was almost just like I'm just gonna see what happens here, and he like really finish the play. Um, haven't seen uh, Jalen Smith back since. <laughs> so he might have he might have taken him out or of the Baines league. for that matter. <laughs> yeah, Bain also is gone from the league. So Jaw has ended two careers yep. so far. Uh, yeah, speaking of another career that he's famously ruined, uh, I have the Spurs 52-point game on, as my number four. And it was special for just multiple moments. It was the Pirtle dunk. It was the second quarter buzzer beater. It's full court pass from Steven Adams, which is... Greatest play I've ever seen. I, yeah, I don't know why I didn't put that in here, but it was... I've never... It was unreal. Just the, Steven Adams doesn't get the credit he deserves for that. But it was just... I mean, an, he should be on an NFL roster, honestly. Given the amount of quarterbacks right now that are starting in the NFL... Like Steven Adams, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's the 52-point game. It's his career high. It's the most ever points in an individual game for a Grizzlies player. And that, to, it was, I'm pretty sure those two plays were the number one and number two in the NBA that year. Like overall, when they did their top 100 plays, like those were the ones. And yeah, that was just absurd. Okay, my... Uh... I'm loving these picks. My number four is uh, for uh, the amount of went viral. And this was, this was the play that was the amount of, uh, I don't even watch the NBA. Who is Ja Morant that I got texts I got from people. And that is Ja's uh, dunk in the Lakers. I mean, not dunk his block in the Lakers game. Um, and uh, where he got, where his, hands got over basically the square on the backboard and there was all sorts of it it made notes in multiple podcasts there was multiple slow-mos of it about where he jumped uh to be able to block that um and it was just it was my uh that was one of my few sort of like you see it with with jordan with lebron just basically it's like what how many humans in the world could do this uh especially at his size uh, so that was that was one of my favorite job moments. That was number four. Uh, number three was his little uh, spinning hoop uh, 
a spinning spinning basket that he did to finish off the Warriors in the play-in game uh, that uh, that basically sealed it, put us up, uh, and basically sealed the game for us. And that was if if I go with these personal moments, that was my uh, you know honestly the ja- the one that you chose with the set game two Jazz was also pretty special. But that was my first. We have a winner. Like we have a closer. We we knew it in the regular season, but we have a play a postseason closer on our team and and plus it was against the Warriors so it was extra special yeah I uh I had the play in clutch basket as well as my number three and honestly to preview my other one it was it was the uh, game two against the Warriors that you just mentioned so I had the my number five was the game two against the Jazz when he was uh younger but then more recently the 47 points against the Warriors as well. Uh, just unbelievable performances in both. Ty, what's your number three? That's my three and two. Uh, three is game two against the Warriors. He went 47, eight and eight in a game that was just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He almost caused Jordan Poole to tear an ACL in the middle of the lane somehow. Like, Truly unguardable. No matter what they did to him, it didn't work. He was doing whatever he wanted. Best player on the floor, what I was talking about earlier, with Draymond, with Clay, with Steph. Steph was talking trash after game one. Not like a, a fun way, basically like, this is going to be fun, let's go. After that game, Ja walked by him and said, it's going to get fun now. Like, it was just, it was perfect. Like, this is the peak of Ja to me, this game. He was at the peak of his powers. He was talking, this is all the running up the chimney. This is like who he, you know, all that personified was jaw in that moment. Like, talked a big game, played a big game, finished the game. Like, I'm the guy, I'm going to talk like the guy, and I'm going to act like the guy. Um, so, to me, that's my number three. I'll piggyback off my number two really quick the play-in against the the Warriors. Y'all have kind of mentioned this. This is the first time when I was like, oh, man, this this dude is like a dude. Um, there's the – the I love the viral video of Dylan running up to him after he made that clutch floater, and he just goes, I'm a, I'm a mother effing dog. Like, I just love that so much, that clip of him. Um, he went 35-6-6. Six, and six on the road as a 21 year old kid, like that was next level too. Mm, man. Yeah, it was. And also, Oh, by the way, in that Warriors game, the game two, he was without Dylan Brooks because Dylan had gotten thrown out of the game two minutes in from a very bad. That game battle. we had, uh, I was looking at the stats on that earlier. We had one other starter in double figures and it was Jaron with like 12 points. Perfect. Bain was like two for seven, basically like lost a couple vertebrae. Like, dude couldn't walk. Y'all remember that? Bain couldn't walk. And we just like go said, go stand on the wing and just like act like you're going to do something. I think our second leading scorer was Brandon Clark with like 15 points off the bench. Um, ja, I mean, he won the game by himself. Yeah. So that, that was my three and two, which means we're back around to craft for the uh, final. I'll do my two and my one. Let y'all finish out with your ones. Uh, my number two, and this is my favorite uh, Grizzlies play so far of all time, so team play, and it's in our, in our fun season uh, of 21-22, and this would be my peak 
everything about what I loved about that year, the peak of this was Bane blocks, uh, blocks a layup against the board, uh, something we had not seen him do before. Conchar, of course, uh, gets it, uh, throws it ahead to Jaron for some reason, uh, throws it to Jaron. Jaron drives down the middle of the floor and, uh, and Jaron, not known for his passing ability, especially not two years ago, throws like an alley-oop uh, to Jaw, who windmill dunks it. Uh, Steven Adams is sprinting down the court and lets out this sort of like guttural yell uh, in pure like <laughs> Aquaman fashion. Uh, the, on- the only thing keeping this from probably being my favorite Grizzlies play ever is the stupid refs. Call call a charge, which was then challenged and overturned. So everything counts, but that was the only annoying part was we had to challenge the best play ever. Uh, but one, it was just the windmill dunk. It was the most kind of and one, but our whole team touched the ball. Everything about that season to me summed up the fun. Uh, I was there live watching it and just didn't even know what to do with myself. Uh, I love that. That was my number two. And then my number one was already mentioned. Um, and, and that'll always be a special game for me, which is the 52 point Spurs, uh, win, uh, that happened on February 28th, my birthday, two years ago, I had my whole family, um, and my whole, uh, staff, uh, with me at the game. So, uh, you know, eight of my favorite people at me, uh, with me at the game to watch that. Obviously, we already talked about it, the Steven Adams pass, the dunking on Podal, uh, and Josh scoring 52. Doesn't get any better than that uh, uh, on your birthday. So it was amazing. Number one for me. My number one was, I think, the greatest play I've ever seen in FedEx Forum, and that was the dunk over Malik Beasley. Um, time and situation couldn't have been more dire we were i was already so we if you're new to grizzden we're very glad you're here and one of the things that we do is we go record after each of the playoff games and i was already writing the obituary of the season like literally on my notes app sitting up there in fedex forum because the timberwolves were we were we were down and jaw just absolutely uncorks one of the craziest dunks from the free throw line I've ever seen over Malik Beasley. And you would have thought that FedEx Forum just pumped a huge thing of oxygen immediately into the building because everybody woke up. And it just, I've never seen the 180 that that dunk had for not only the fans, but the team. And we rallied to end up scoring. And of course, Ja has the layup at the end where he beats Anthony Edwards. And we call that play for out of the inbounds. And we keep our hopes alive in a series that we eventually won because the stakes of losing that series to an inferior Timberwolves team who was playing above their weight at the time. And knowing that this team needed the validation of a playoff series win. And we had to that point gotten a miracle to even be in that game five and gosh, I mean, it was just, it was one of those plays where it, it literally saved the season and did, he did it in the most jaw way possible. And so that's, that's just my number one and, and will be until he does something to top it, which I, I believe he can, but that moment, man, 
It was it was it. Yeah, that's my number one as well. Um, not necessarily that dunk, but that that game in general. Um, but the, you're right, the dunk set it all off. He had 30, 13, and 9 that game. 30 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists. He had 18 points in the fourth quarter. Because yep. I remember he was like off the whole game. It was just like something just kind of – it's almost like he was passive in a way to like I'm just kind of feeling this out. And then it, it it did seem like like a flip switch that he was just like, no, this I'm just – I'm taking it over. I'm, we're gonna we're gonna win or lose based on what I can do over these next twelve minutes of game time. Um, the dunk started it, but yeah, I remember like midway through the fourth, like they kept hitting shots. We could never get it to single digits. It was always like we'd cut it to nine or something. They'd hit a three to go up by twelve. We would like miss a wide open three. They would come down and like hit one. It was just like constantly that. And then you just saw the game just kind of slowly but surely it started chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Um, but that whole game of his, again, like to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, like these kind of players don't exist very much. A 22-year-old, 23-year-old guy, he was 22 at the time, um, I believe, because he just turned 24 this past August, correct? So that playoff, he was still 22, about to turn 23. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So you don't see players that young. Just You just don't see it. Like you don't see – we kind of make this comparison. Like Steph Curry didn't even become an all-star until he was 25. Jaws not even 25 yet. Like to have a guy like this, as, as dire as it seems this season, you can kind of take a step back and be like, this season's awful. Like this hopefully is a blip. And one of the main reasons you can think that is because we have a guy like that. Not a lot of teams have that guy. Um, not a lot of teams ever have that guy. And you got to have a guy like that if you really want to win big. That's where it all starts. You got to have a superstar. Jaw's proven that he can be a superstar when it matters the most. I hope that he listens to this and thinks back to all those moments that he's had and just wants to do everything he can to recreate him. Um, ja, you know, I know you're listening, of course. Uh, just recreate all this. I'll just, I want the first month of the season to just be all of this. Bring it to us because we need it. <laughs> Let it be so. Let it be so. Uh, let's get really quickly to the MVP of the week. I've got Jaron. Who do y'all have? Jaron. It's pretty obvious. Two 40-point games while keeping us... Uh, somehow losing three games, but we're still top 10 in defensive efficiency um, scoring. And even honestly, he didn't score 40 points Friday night, but honestly kept us in it, played really well, really strong. Uh, he was the one getting buckets when we kind of needed it, trying to be run stopper. Um, so, you know, that I wish the team had performed, the rest of the team had performed up to him um, these last three games. So MVP for me, Jaron. Can I say Dylan or is that against the rules? <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think it's against the rules. We'll see. Honestly, I think he's probably MVP of the week. Um, I mean, you can't have a better week if you're Dylan Brooks. <laughs> so we we got two Jarens and one Dylan. 
We'll mark that down for the records. Uh, all right, we're going to end the podcast. This one's going a little long, but we want to, I mean, it's John Morant week. So, of course we are. We have something finally to talk about that's not just our our terrible team that we've had thus far. So, Craft, yeah. you had you had a story time that you wanted to share. Yes. Yeah, I want to end with this on Jaw Week. Uh, so, I don't know if you'll like me, um, if you like Christmas movies or not. I really like Christmas movies. Um you know, we're, uh, this is the time of year, even me as being a film snob will end up watching like Hallmark Christmas movies and things like that, where, you know, widows, widowers save their, you know, stores or learn the benefits of small town living or em- while all while embracing the, you know, spirit of Christmas and getting married and having kids. Uh, I love Christmas Carol, but I especially love It's a Wonderful Life and, um, was even, it was so despairing Friday night. <laughs> um, this is true, actually. Uh, I was watching like, it's a wonderful life reaction videos um, just to like try to cheer me up um, to, to get me going. I was just so down the dumps. And, uh, and so this is kind of neat thing you need these days. So after living sort of the darkest timeline possible, watching Dylan hit a step back three to beat us, uh, to give us three straight losses. Um, I went to bed distraught and I had this craziest dream. So I was standing out by the walking bridge, you know, between Tennessee and Arkansas, and I was looking at the river, seeing the pyramid, FedEx Forum. I was lamenting my Grizzlies fandom. You know, all the injuries, this horrible record. As I see my two-seed predictions seemingly going up in flames, though I still have a little bit of hope, a little bit. Uh, And I'm lamenting my Grizzlies fandom. It would be better if I had never become a fan. And I didn't stop there. I thought maybe it would be better if no none of us had ever become fans. You know, that save all these Grizzlies fans out their pain. It's a dark thought. But then all of a sudden, Grizz showed up. And he's looking at me incredulously, kind of like, you know, how could you think something like this? He doesn't say it because, you know, Grizz doesn't speak. But I can just tell by his look. He's disappointed in me. He then points to his head like he has an idea. Then he snaps his fingers. And I'm suddenly in FedEx for him. But I quickly realize something's very, very wrong. I'm no longer wearing my Grizzlies hoodie or my Grizzden shirt. I'm just in a button-down khakis. There's very little energy in the form for the game. First of all, there's no Grizzwear anywhere. All I see are Lakers and Warriors jerseys. And there's no Grizz jerseys anywhere. And then I, I pick up the program to realize that without Grizz fandom, the Grizzlies are totally different. Chris Wallace is still the GM, as no one really cares about enough about to complain. We never moved up in the lottery in 2019. A Heisley child still owns the Grizzlies. <laughs> we decided to build around Powell and then Rudy Gay. We never traded for Zebo or got Mark. We traded Conley for Joe Alexander back in 2009 because Mark wasn't there to stop it. Obviously, no core four, no Western Conference finals. The energy in the building was terrible. And then I realized without... Grizz fandom, so many things were different as I talked to people, asking about everything, and nobody knew what I was talking about. I mentioned bongos, and people looked at me like I was crazy. No wrestling nights. They liked the Grizz okay, but they really were into Natch for some reason. There were no 209 boys, no all-heart grit grind, no blue-collar player, blue-collar town. No, we don't bluff. The only growl towels I could find said mem this. That was all. All the growl towels said mem this. And there were no bootleg t-shirts, no jaw raff, no we hear, 
No Tony Allen's Twitter account. No Block Panther or Aquaman. No Vernon Harrington movie lists. Uh, no booty call is Ryan Hollins, along with Chandler Parsons. Chip Parsons was a Grizzlies legend. People talked about the Stro show as the best time to be a Grizzlies fan. Tui was still the analyst, hoping we could cut it to single digits. OJ never got bronchitis. Mark never busted Perk or anyone's butt. No one ever threw it to the hand. No first team all defense. Dylan never became a villain, but was traded to a contender for cash considerations. He gave kudos to himself elsewhere, never wearing sunglasses while doing it. There was no hateful eight, no Jaeger tears or take that for data, no machine for us to make trades for us, no defense chant up 78, no bombs are ever dropped, and of course, no whoop that trick. I got on the, my phone, because that's what I do when I'm feeling awkward and sad, and realized everything was sad. I searched for our podcast, but then I realized it never existed without any Grizz fandom. I saw that Fastbreak Breakfast was asking for help on Twitter. He just wanted some players with good plus minuses that were bad in the playoffs to love unconditionally. <laughs> the rest of Grizz Twitter was just take, talking movies and food and reality shows as talking about the Grizzlies had become dull. That or arguing with Sane over him trolling about which G League players should be starting for us. I went to YouTube to look for highlights, but all that came up were Nick Young hitting threes, Shelvin Mack coming to the game, and us drafting a shame to beat true nightmare stuff every time i would try to say anything positive about grizzlies people just responded grizzaster then i saw the rest of the league was even worse luca keeps winning mvp chet won rookie of the year most improved was a tie between every former grizzly and sangoon austin reeves <laughs> won sixth man of the year willie green was coach of the year somehow after rusillo campaigned for him and KOC, Andrew Sharp, and Bill Simmons were right about everything. <laughs> the Thunder were title favorites along with the Lakers. And Detroit was actually good this year. I couldn't take it and began to break down. I ran out of the forum. Still confused, I turned to Grizz and asked him, what about Conchar? And Grizz just pointed to the downtown Y. And so I ran through the night over to the Y. Where I found a normal looking guy. Running the pickup courts, creating expressions, getting every rebound, but he looked so sad and I recognized him. But when I yelled out Jitty and dunk shot, he just looked at me like I was crazy and called for security. As I, dra as I was dragged away, he was muttering, saying, sports have never been hashtag fun. I couldn't take it anymore. I cried out to Grizz to make it stop. I want to go back. Then all of a sudden, I was back in the forum and not even in my seats. I was on the court. And everything seemed normal again. The fans were into the game. There was Jaron and Dez warming up. Conchar was there too. My Grizzlies hoodie was back. The Grizz Den podcast was back on my phone. Grizz Twitter was stupid as ever, but funny and active. The energy was back and music was blaring. And more than that, right as warm-ups were ending, I could see him clearly. It was 12. He was walking out of the tunnel. He was in the starting lineup. And he had come back to rescue this season from irrelevancy. But not just that, he had come to make us awesome again and to win future titles. And all the pain and all the dark timelines, all the injuries, the missed threes, all the painful Zaire minutes disappeared from my mind. His jaw was back. And as little Vivian kissed the ball, Jaren handed her before throwing it to jaw for the first time this season, she leaned over to me and whispered, every time a bell rings, jaw dunks on a hopeless seven-footer. Wow. And with that, I woke up, ready for the week, ahead full of hope 
and realizing that being a Grizz fan is awesome. And even when it's hard, it's the best. And I'd never want to cheer for any team, any other team. Merry Christmas. Wow. That, hey, round of applause. Unbelievable craft. That Unbelievable. was just exactly, exactly what we needed uh, in this holiday season and also in this holiday week for those that, the, a jolly week, if you will. Uh, nice. Craft, unbelievable. I, we have to get that published somewhere. I don't know where, but somewhere fast. I want it written out and I want to frame it. I want to frame the whole thing. I want a children's book that I can just purchase right now and just <laughs> read myself. <laughs> oh man, crap. That was, that was unreal. Thank you for sharing. I'm glad it came at the, uh, the, the end of a super long podcast. <laughs> yep. That's right. I know. Well, Listen, we're going to definitely put it in the show notes. If you gotten this far, you got treated to something that was just iconic. So, Craft, Unreal, uh, this has been another edition of the Weekend Update, and it is John Morant Week. We will be back with you uh, to react to everything uh, that goes on on the court and off it. And for Ty, for Craft, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next weekend.